This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November the 1st, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Almost had an instinctual AMI-audio slip out there, but no, we are only on AMI-tv or on demand on the AMI Audio Podcast Network. See? Still audio ringing through my mind and ringing through my ears. Coming up on the show today, Ontario Tech University is hosting a speaker series called Disability Impact of the Pandemic on Vision Health. Megan Gilmore shares some findings from the most recent report. And guide dog access denial remains a pressing issue. Louise Levesque Burley has an update on a personal experience. Catch up with Mike and Eliza. It's a busy show coming your way on the first day of November in 2022. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day. A new study finds the average Canadian credit card balance hit a record high at the end of September. Don Kelly has the numbers. Equifax Canada's latest consumer survey finds the average credit card balance was $2,121 and that more than half of Canadians surveyed have a lot of anxiety about their personal debt levels. Average non-mortgage debt now totals $21,188. More than half of respondents told Equifax they're worried about paying regular bills like rent, utilities or insurance, especially adults 65 and older. John Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And Bank of Canada, Bank of Canada Governor, there we go, tongue twisted that one, Tiff Macklem and Senior Deputy Governor Carolyn Rogers are expected to testify before the Senate Banking Committee this evening. The Bank of Canada released its latest monetary policy report last week, which suggested the Canadian economy is headed for a significant slowdown towards the end of this year and the first half of 2023. Bank of Canada officials are typically called to testify following the release of the April and October monetary policy reports. Switching to a different federal story, the federal government has looked for international expertise in identifying remains at former residential schools. Karen Rebo has more. A briefing note obtained by the Canadian press under access to information law shows Ottawa was interested in the International Commission on Missing Persons because of its expertise in identifying human remains through DNA testing. The group has only confirmed that it has been approached for support. But in a statement late Monday, Office of Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller said there is currently no contract in place. Over the past year, First Nations have announced the presence of what are believed to be nearly seven. 1,500 unmarked graves of Indigenous children who died while forced to attend residential schools. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. And let's head over to the Emergencies Act inquiry, where Freedom Convoy organizers are expected to testify at the inquiry starting today. It's expected that Tamara Litch, Chris Barber, and Pat King will all testify. Barber is expected to be first. The inquiry has so far painted a picture of confusion and chaos among police forces and levels of government. Now let's switch abroad, but it's somewhat going back to where we started this news segment. Cost of living 
and energy prices. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are planning to cut oil production. Charles de Ledesma has that story. Comments at the Abu Dhabi International Petroleum Exhibition and Conference show the stark divide between the U.S. and Gulf Arab countries. It supports militarily in the wider Middle East, the UAE's energy minister says, while OPEC and its allies are only a phone call away if the requirements are there to raise production. There's no suggestion such a boost would be on its way anytime soon. American politicians, meanwhile, have reacted angrily to a decision likely to keep gasoline prices elevated. OPEC and a loose confederation of other countries led by Russia agreed in early October to cut its production to 2 million barrels of oil a day beginning in November. I'm Charles de Ledesma. And let's turn to the American side of that story, where U.S. President Joe Biden is raising the possibility of a significant tax on oil companies if they don't boost production. Biden accused energy companies of war profiteering while people struggle with high gas prices. Oil companies record profits today are not because they're doing something new or innovative. Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. Biden plans to ask Congress to levy tax penalties on oil companies if they don't invest their profits in lowering costs. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, we were in the Halloween spirit throughout most of the show, and we asked you, what is the best part of Halloween? 38% of you said costumes. 22% of you said candy. 16% of you said scary entertainment. And 24% of you kind of land with me and say, eh, nothing. A little bit Halloween cynical over here. And we had James uh, respond in via Twitter at Accessible Media, everything. Before we get to today's daily poll, as part of our conversation yesterday, we were talking about the hunt for cheap discounted Halloween candy on November the 1st. Well, intrepid in the field reporter Eliza Rocco was out hitting the stores this morning. Eliza, what did you find? I am very sad to report that there was absolutely no Halloween candy to be found anywhere. The shelves were bare, and in replace of the Halloween candy was Christmas displays. That was the most sickening part of it for me. The supply chain comes for us all. I wonder, I wonder, not to be too conspiratorial, we're just speculating here. I wonder if they realize that, you know, this candy doesn't expire, and you can just put it in the back. Right? Mm. 10 o'clock rolls around on Halloween night. Just put it in the back and we'll (laughs) roll it out again next year. It's not going to go bad. That stuff's like built to last nuclear explosions. I wouldn't put them. I wouldn't put it past him. I really wouldn't. <laughs> it goes back to the conversation we had last week about maybe general distrust that uh, Canadians are feeling towards some mm. of their grocery chains right now. <laughs> Again, not to be too speculative or conspiratorial. If they want to sponsor the show, I'll, I'll, I'll sing their tune. Just, you know, make that money rain on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> like, candy. And candy. And candy, <laughs> yeah. You slip us a couple boxes of that candy and my silence will be purchased. Eliza, thank you for being an intrepid reporter for of us course. this morning. We appreciate that. Today, daily poll and this relates to the top story of the day that i just shared with you at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook credit credit card balances hit a record high in canada in september with interest rates rising are you trying to use your credit card less yes no or i don't have one let's bring in mike ross for first crack at this mike what say you in regards to a credit card usage 
Uh, it, it doesn't impact us as far as using it less because we already don't use them a lot. Um, many, many years ago when we uh, managed to, to basically clear off our cards, um, we've sort of stuck to the mantra of if you can't really buy it with your debit card, then maybe we don't really need it or maybe we shouldn't buy it. So we've been sort of living by that uh, uh, rule over the last several years and it's it's really paid off for us. It's it's made us, I think, smarter consumers and and more responsible consumers. Um, there are things that you that you buy where you need a credit card. Companies that, that that's how it's set up to make the purchase and that's fine. But generally speaking, the interest rates on credit cards are not going to affect us. We'll be affected certainly uh, next uh, February when our mortgage comes due, and we've got to renegotiate for that. But the right. credit card situation is pretty good right now. Yeah, the credit card can be a very healthy way to actually keep your credit score in line. But when you start hearing the mm -hmm. stories about people carrying the $2,000 balances month for month over month, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of interest that people are going to be paying to carry those interest rates over. And certainly it's one where – at a certain point, you can't do anything to prevent necessarily having yourself overstretched on bills. The world has become very expensive, whether it be rent, mm -hmm. groceries, gas, take your pick. And certainly if there's folks listening today who are on fixed incomes, they can definitely yep. say they feel that pinch as well. But typically, if you can pay the credit card off every month, it's certainly a useful tool in building your credit, but it is one that does require some caution. And sometimes it can get really easy for it to pile up on you in a hurry. I know my trip to Montreal later this month, I put entirely on my credit card and I looked at my credit card statement on Sunday and I was like, oh baby, maybe we should have uh, done some of that with the Interact card because uh, it was, you, you, you don't feel the sticker shock when you're buying the train ticket or booking the hotel room, but then when you see the pre-authorized purchases in your account, you're like, oh baby, that might have been a little aggressive. Yeah, and I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said fixed incomes, right? I mean, I think back to uh, the early days when my wife and I were, were out on our own, first married, and she was teaching uh, at a private school where it was contract work. I was working in my early days in broadcasting, certainly not making a lot of uh, mm -hmm, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you know, when when she wasn't bringing money in in the summer. I can remember there were weeks near the end of August where we were buying groceries on our Zeller's credit card yeah, because money was just that tight. We still had rent to pay. We still had car, you know, car payments to make, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, one very small income coming in uh, in those summer months. So we've been there. We know what that's like. And there are a lot of people right now in this day and age, never mind the high prices, just the fact that they're they've got low wages yep. or yep. they're on a disability payment of of some kind and that's so limiting when you see rent what it's at you know 1600 2000 dollars a month yeah how do you make those ends yeah. meet? It's so difficult. So two, two, yeah, two the credit grand. cards can sometimes be very necessary. Two grand for one bedroom apartment in Toronto right now. Yeah. Like that's that's a that's a lot of cash for someone on a low wage or a fixed income. There's yep. no doubt about that. Eliza Rocco, what about you? Do you find the credit card is staying in the purse and the wallet a little more regularly these days? Well, I'm completely on mic with this one because my usage hasn't changed because I rarely, rarely use my credit card. I try to only use it for those big purchases or if a company needs me to pay with my credit card and I always pay it back right away. Yeah. 
a credit card is just like the most terrifying like boogeyman to me. So I really try to leave that in my wallet, save it for an emergencies kind of thing. There you go. That's good sound fiscal policy and fiscal advice from Eliza Rocco. <laughs> at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. That's where you vote on the poll. But certainly we encourage you to reach out to us via other points of contact. There's always the email address, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or there's the phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Let's go back to Mike Ross. Mike has the national weather update. Thanks, Dave. It is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, and we will begin in St. John's, Newfoundland. Mainly cloudy there today with a high of 8 degrees. Halifax will be cloudy with a few showers and a high of 16. Montreal, periods of rain or drizzle, ending this morning with a high of 16 degrees. Ottawa, cloudy and a high of 16. To Toronto, cloudy there with a high of 18 degrees. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, mainly sunny skies and a high of 15. Winnipeg, Manitoba sees a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 13. To Saskatoon, periods of rain today beginning well around the midday and your high is 6 degrees. Let's go to Calgary, precipitation of a different kind. You got some snow, at times heavy, beginning this morning, expecting about 5 centimeters in total. Oh, wow. Temperature, yeah, the temperature will be steady near zero and the wind chill minus eight. I was watching a, a recent news report out in Calgary and in the background, snow everywhere. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> Everyone understands November in Alberta, you're going to get some winter. It's not yep. like this is fear mongering or scaremongering, nope. but still, the first nope. time you get five centimeters every year always feels like a bit of a doozy day. Yeah, anytime you 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 know you can't just let it sit for a couple of days and it'll be gone, that you actually have to go out and, and shovel it. Oh, yeah. that's that's a tough first time for every year, no matter where you live. Uh, Edmonton is next. Periods of light snow there beginning late this afternoon, and your high is plus three. Light snow, that's the key there. Uh, Yellowknife, a mix of sun and cloud. The temperature will fall to minus 17 later this afternoon, and the wind chill minus 16 this morning, minus 24 this afternoon. And Vancouver, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of nine. Victoria, same situation. Sun, a few clouds, and a high of 9 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. Coming up next, Ontario Tech University is hosting a speaker series called Disability Research from the Ground Up. Dr. Jen Rinaldi will tell you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There is a series of seminars taking place through Ontario Tech University centered around disability and what a more inclusive future may look like. Dr. Jen Rinaldi is the organizer or one of the organizers of the Advocates Assembly Disability Research from the Ground Up Speaker Series and joins us now to tell you a little bit more about it. Dr. Rinaldi, thank you so much for making time for us today. We're grateful. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a general question, a bit of an overview. What is the speaker series and what are some of the topics that you're trying to cover? Sure. The uh, Advocates Assembly 
uh, Disability from the Ground Up Virtual Speaker Series, which was originally called Advocates Assemble until the Marvel pun got old really fast. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tried uh, and then uh, decided it was too much, but um, it uh, has the tagline of Framing the Future of Disability Research. Uh, it is a virtual series that's taking place monthly through the fall academic term in order to feature people who do work in community and identify often as disabled themselves, uh, who can speak to the lived experiences, the in-community conditions, and the most pressing needs of disability populations. And our purpose is to uh, ensure that uh, these are um, uh, these community-based research principles that can anchor academic disability research are, are centered uh, and uh, part of the work that uh, my own research institute at Ontario Tech uh, tries to forefront. So I guess our events so far have been titled Advancing Disability Rights Around the World, uh, which was September, um, Imagining Accessible Worlds in October. Uh, tomorrow we have an event called Centering Disability in Healthcare, and then we wrap everything up with a talk titled um, Advancing Disability Justice. Mm, all those topics are so, so relevant and ones that we talk about a lot on this show, and it's great to see them being put through the lens of the speaker series I'm curious, what's the process like in putting a series like this together? So um, my team started with inviting people we knew and people we already work with and then people we really want to work with, uh, people we want to see partnering with academic research because, uh, I mean, we know the nothing about us without us tagline. Uh, I've done work in the disability studies field and myself identify as disabled, so I, I know well that um, research can be really extractivist, and uh, we wanted to really begin uh, a lot of research institute work by uh, starting with uh, people who could be like excellent partners and are already doing work that can be called research without these post-secondary academics uh, deciding what the research record should look like. And I'd say that once we had a list of people who were willing to uh, share their insights and their experience, uh, we organized around what they do, and that really informed the four topics we landed on. And I think actually a lot of our speakers um, helped inform the different kinds of talks based on how they model disability themselves. So our first talk had a rights-based approach to disability work. Uh, we had a very social constructivist conversation last month uh, when we were talking about uh, service provision at the local level. Uh, and when we talk about healthcare, I think tomorrow we'll have to really contend with how to uh, deal with the medical elements uh, and the healthcare needs of disabled populations without medicalizing disability. Mm. Uh, and then it's sort of lastly, is my own work, uh, disability justice framework is sort of more recent uh, ways of, of dealing with disability in the field in intersectional ways and in ways that are transformative. There's a lot of different lenses there, as you point out, a lot yeah. of different approaches in the way that you can look at disability and research disability, some of it hyper-localized and some of it with an international focus. What's it like trying to get a conversation that can be so um, so hyper-focused but also be so generalized? Why did you want to take that approach? That's a good question. I do a lot of my own work at the local level, so all the people in my Rolodex uh, were people who do work in Toronto and the Durham region. And uh, I always think, you know, beginning with community means like learning how to uh, do our research in conversation with like in relationship, uh, because we know what people need based on like how they organize in a particular space. 
Um, but uh, our institute already has partnerships with uh, people from around the world who are doing work that contends with how disabled populations have had to deal with uh, colonial and imperialist forces and the ways in which wealth and poverty are uh, unequally distributed. And then I think like even when we do local work, we see that it's impossible to get away from the wider global conditions that uh, debilitate us mm. and that make it impossible for us to live. So I think we had to have a, a wider lens for at least some of our talks to get at the ways in which disability happens in, in much wider contexts. Let's talk a bit about the session you have coming up tomorrow, because even in the next segment of the show, we're going to be talking about a foundation fighting blindness and Canadian Council of the Blind Report about the impact of the pandemic on vision health. And we know when we're talking about healthcare and disability, oh goodness gracious, that conversation can go in a lot of ways. What is on deck? What are some of the angles that you're hoping to jump into tomorrow? So tomorrow our talk uh, will feature people from community health centers. And I think that CHCs do incredible work uh, that uh, doesn't always medicalize disability and contends with social determinants of health in ways that I find really uh, important and useful and um, uh, transformative. Uh, and then we have um, researchers from uh, rehabilitative centers uh, who partnered with our research institute before. And I think um, what I'm trying to get at in this talk, because I'll be the sort of disabled moderator uh, grounding us, uh, I want us to really think about how uh, our academic and medical research tends to medicalize disability and how um, healthcare researchers and healthcare practitioners have a lot of work to do to shore up uh, agency in healthcare decision making and to ensure that um, disabled people feel heard in medical spaces and have the, uh, the resources they need, but also have the authority to make decisions in those spaces. I think that'll be a lot of what our talks uh, center around tomorrow. There've only been a few so far, but what's the response been like? Oh, um, I've been really surprised, especially when we have local talks uh, that um, maybe because this is a, a free event and it's virtual, uh, that people join from around the world. Uh, so we've had some audience members from Australia and West Africa uh, to learn about what federal and provincial legislation looks like uh, in Ontario, uh, which I always, I found like fascinating. Mm. Um, so our talks have had uh, uh, sort of up to 80 people come uh, and uh, I've offered the promise that uh, there'll be recordings afterwards, uh, maybe in the new year. So I'm hoping that there'll be some uptake that way too. I think that's a real testament to the fact that you're onto something here. These kinds of topics are really important, especially when you can offer that value added in a multitude of perspectives. I can see why this would be appealing to folks all around the world. So along those lines, if somebody is watching this morning or listening to the podcast this evening, where can they go to potentially sign up for these? Is it open to the public? Indeed, it's open to the public and registration is free. You have to register in order to receive the event link, uh, but it's totally virtual and we promise to offer, uh, and we have the funding to offer ASL translation, uh, live captioning by a real captioner. And we try to provide uh, audio description of visual content as well. Um, so you can find us on Eventbrite to register for free, uh, or you can uh, access the, uh, IDRR or Institute for Disability and Rehabilitative Research website. That's my institute that's hosting the events. Uh, and they have an event tab where you can access uh, the Eventbrite link. 
Dr. Rinaldi, we're beyond grateful that you could make time for us today. Best of luck with the, uh, the, the, two series, the, two, the two events before the end of the series, before the end of the semester, and hopefully we get a chance to connect with you again down the road. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having a, a disability-centered uh, radio show. I'm so excited about uh, learning about uh, future episodes now that I know you exist. Ah, I see. This is this is great. We it's, it's like a physics conversation. We are in existence. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> That's Dr. Jen Rinaldi, an organizer at, of the Advocates Assembly Disability Research from the Ground Up Speaker Series put on through Ontario Tech University. As mentioned, there's another event tomorrow and one more before the end of the semester. And if you head over to the blog after the show, we can provide you with some more information. AMI.ca slash AMI.ca slash now. There we go. Still have the little cold going on here. So the brain is not working at a hundo P. AMI.ca slash now. AMI.ca slash now. I'm sure if you went to AMI.ca slash blog, there'd be something there, but it wouldn't be where the information you're looking for would be. Oh gosh, English is hard. Coming up next, the Canadian Council of the Blind continues to research the impact of the pandemic on vision health. Megan Gilmore shares findings from the most recent report. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minutes. Canadian and American stock markets slumped to close out a volatile October. Toronto's TSX index lost 45 points yesterday to close at 19,426. New York's Dow Jones average tumbled 128 points and the Nasdaq gave back 114. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 91 points. Hong Kong's Hang Seng index surged 5.2%. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning, higher at 73.81 cents U.S. Asia stock markets are higher this morning after a survey of Chinese manufacturing showed activity improved. Equifax Canada's latest consumer survey finds the average credit card balance hit a record high of $2,121 by the end of September. The average non-mortgage debt totaled nearly $22,000, with credit card use reaching historic highs. More than half of Canadians surveyed are worried about paying regular bills like rent and utilities. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The Canadian healthcare system is under strain, whether it be staffing shortages, emergency room closures, or long patient wait times, people are feeling the brunt of that. And all aspects of health are impacted, including vision health. A new report put together by several organizations examines just how severe those impacts have been. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore is here with some of the findings. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Megan, I know one of the organizations here is the Canadian Council of the Blind, the CCB. But who else was behind this and what were they looking for? Sure. So uh, along with the CCB, Fighting Blindness Canada uh, was also involved in this report. And then the organizations also partnered with uh, large organizations that represent optometrists and ophthalmologists. So That one always um, gets me, too. I know, right? And it's really hard to spell, but that's another story. Um, So as part of the research, optometrists and ophthalmologists were interviewed as well about what they're seeing 
um, in terms of vision healthcare in Canada. So what this report card is, is the continuation of research that CCB and uh, the uh, Fighting Blindness Canada have been doing over the past few years. Mm -hmm. uh, they started in... Ooh, I think it was 2012. Uh, well, they started in 2019 doing research about the overall cost of vision loss in Canada. And that research was published in May 2021. Mm -hmm. And then um, in October 2021, they released an extra part, like an addendum to that report that described specifically how the pandemic was impacting individuals with vision loss. This research builds on that. So we're looking at two things here. One is... What is the state of vision healthcare in Canada? Have has it rebounded from the impacts of the pandemic? Are we back to 2019 levels? Are we not? Those types of questions. And the second part of it is a survey that was done with individuals living with vision loss and seeing how they are coping right now in uh, it would have been 2021 as opposed to the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, this is a continuation. In fact, we interviewed a couple of the researchers as those first reports and addendums were coming out. So I'm curious, what are the main findings of this most recent research? Sure. So uh, Keith Gordon, who's one of the key researchers, he summarized it this way, that clearly the backlog is not being overcome. So while this research does show that there's been a significant increase in the number of surgeries in the number of visits to eye doctors, um, in 2021 over 2020, the numbers are still lower than the 2019 levels. Uh, so we're still day we're still dealing with backlogs and surgeries, and overall, there's fewer visits to eye doctors than there was before. So the big question is why? Right. And a lot of it has to do with things that you mentioned right at the top there, right? Like so, so staff shortages. Um and surgery backlogs and wait lists. And I think it's important for us to remember when we're discussing the healthcare system rebounding from the pandemic, we wanna use that language. It's not as if pre-COVID, the healthcare system was firing <laughs> on all cylinders, doing lovely A pluses for everything, right? So surgery wait times and backlogs have always been a concern. They were a concern before the pandemic. The pandemic happens, shutters a lot of these, um, and we're still trying to catch up um, to get things back to pre-pandemic levels. And what's the cost? What, what's the what's the monetary cost of this? Sure. So from previous research that the CCB has done, it's estimated that by 2050, vision loss is going to cost $56 billion in Canada. That's in 2019 dollars. So adjusted for um, where we are right now. It's also estimated that an additional $129 million per year is going to be required to clear the backlog in cataract surgeries between 2021 and 2023. And that is just cataract surgeries. Megan, I'm a little bummed out hearing this, although I think I Sorry. knew it was happening. Were there any positive findings? Sure. So I think it's good if people are getting surgeries and going to eye doctors, like that's a good thing. Um, but the survey of people who are, have vision loss overall indicated that they seem to be coping better. Uh, there's less stress than there was at the beginning of the pandemic. People are comfortable leaving their homes um, more often than they were before. So that's doing well. Also, an interesting thing that Keith Gordon pointed out to me when we were speaking about this is that the vaccination rate of people with vision loss, vaccination rate against COVID-19 is actually incredibly high. 
And that's important to note because these two organizations that authored this study, so the Canadian Council of the Blind and Fighting Blindness Canada, had been two of the organizations that had called for individuals uh, living with vision loss or blindness to be prioritized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. But regardless, there is still a high vaccination uptake. So um, there's probably several reasons for that. I know there's um, several... Uh, the community organizations that work with individuals living with vision loss who were coordinating vaccination uh, rides, making sure people had information about vaccines, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Megan, we've talked about this a couple times on the show, that the Mm -hmm. pandemic really did throw a wrinkle into a lot of what I'll call maintenance healthcare, whether that be physiotherapy, massage, um, eye care, dentist care. I'm curious, how did it impact the way that you were approaching some of that maintenance healthcare? Sure. So I had my regular eye appointment scheduled for fairly early on in in the pandemic. Um, I've had the same ophthalmologist since I was eight. It's one of the longest standing relationships in my life. Um, And so like our first appointment was like, like a phone call, which is really kind of strange for vision. Yeah, that anyways, feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. So like he he called me, and I still remember because I like I see the number on my phone, and like I answer, and he's like, "Hey, it's your favorite eye doctor." I'm like, "Yeah, oh, that's actually true." And right now, you are my only eye doctor, but it would be true even if you weren't. Um, and so it's just a few quick um maintenance type questions, like, "Are you seeing any changes? Is there an increase in floaters? Are you seeing flashing lights? Like that type of thing." Um, but then I didn't get um because of delays. It was going to be about three years between appointments for me when they were able to call and give me my next one. Um, obviously ophthalmologists, there's a very long wait time and I'm a, about an 18 month, every 18 month type person right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thankfully I was home one day in August, 2020. I was back visiting my parents in Brantford. That's where my ophthalmologist is. And we just called the office on a whim to like, Hey, can is like by any chance, is there an opening today? Right. And there was because they'd had cancellation and we got in and that's when I found out I had a cataract that needed to be removed and we were able to schedule a surgery for December. I understand that not everybody was able to get their cataract surgeries during the pandemic, but, but I was, but that was only because there was a fluke cancellation and we were able to get in there. It's it, sometimes in life we have a stroke of luck and these things, right. uh, these things can be very happy. That definitely happened with me with my throat surgery pre-pandemic <laughs> where uh, I just happened to approach a new clinic uh, not long after it opened and they were like, oh yeah, we have tons of spots available and now it would be years and years to, to get into that clinic. So it's, it's, yep. it's sometimes, sometimes in life, Megan, being proactive, we get a little bit lucky. But I think when it comes to the healthcare system, we shouldn't necessarily be counting on luck as effective of policy no No. and like this report is also arguing don't count on luck right there's calls for a national vision health strategy there's been a private member's bill put forward to do that um and it's an interesting thing because the authors of this report will say there's been a lot of money like injected into clearing backlogs and surgery wait times uh but overall despite the amount of money that governments are say they're putting into this we're still seeing Um, we're still seeing huge wait times and a lack of concerted government action on vision health in particular. Yeah, no, listen, the fact is you can inject all the money you want into it if that money is not going to hire surgeons or hire nurses (laughs) or create more facilities it's not actually going towards anything, right? It's going towards, oh, well, we've got three more bureaucrats to book your to book your surgery uh, three years from now. That doesn't clear the backlog. What clears the backlog is actual experts. The thing is, to train an expert takes years. 
right? Do, right. Like it takes yeah. two years to train a nurse. It takes it takes like ten years to train a doctor to train a specialist. So it's not like you can wave a wave a wand to make these things go away. As you point out, Megan, that this is something that existed before the pandemic. And the other thing that we're seeing is some provinces are getting some imagination going. For example, New Brunswick is trying to figure out what kinds of surgeries can we do outside of hospitals? What kind mm-hmm. of clinics can we have do these kinds of surgeries? I know Ontario's flirting with that idea as well. There is something to that, but you have to be very careful about who exactly you're empowering to do that and are the safety protocols still there that you would get doing a surgery in a hospital. Right, right. And I think it's also important to note that surgeries in general are backlogged, right? So like, we're just talking about eye surgery. Yeah. Uh, then there's all like you have more body parts. Uh, there's all of that. So there's also a question of like which health conditions get priority. Yeah, just like the song says, the eye bone is connected to the knee bone. Megan, <laughs> thank you for this. You're welcome. Have that, a good day. That's Megan Gilmore, our accessibility reporter. If there's a local story that you want Megan to take a closer look at, you can always reach out to us by sending us an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or giving us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545, or you can reach out to Megan directly on social media, on Twitter, at Megan Gilmore, M-E-A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E. That's Megan Gilmore, at Megan Gilmore, M-E-A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E. Coming up next, guide dog access denial remains a pressing issue. Louise Levesque Burley has an update on a personal experience. But first, Elon Musk is already making his mark on Twitter. Daria Albinger has more in Tech Trends. world's richest man has only been in charge of Twitter for a couple days now, but he's already making some big changes to the platform. New York Times technology journalist Kate Conger says it started with Musk firing the company's CEO, CFO, and policy chief last week. I think it was very clear that Elon wanted to shake up the leadership of Twitter. In the days since, Musk has ordered Twitter's main login screen to be replaced by the site's Explore tab. The Verge reports the company is working on a plan to charge prominent users $20 per month for their blue check verification system. All that is on top of a broader plan to roll back content moderation guidelines, which Conjure says could end up backfiring. Advertisers have been worried about their brands appearing next to controversial tweets. Musk completed his acquisition of Twitter last Friday with Tech Trends. I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's have a visit with community reporter Louise Levesque Burley in New Brunswick. Hey, good morning, Louise. Good morning, Dave. And how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Can't complain. There we go. That's what we like to hear. Louise, let's start with an update on a story you brought us last time we spoke. You had been denied access at a PEI motel for having a guide dog. What's the latest? Well, the latest, I had a 25-minute conversation with the Director of Strategic Initiative Tourism of PEI. Um, 
the strange, odd thing that he told me during that conversation was he had, he's been there 35 years and he had never had anything like that land on his desk. Now he said, maybe um, it's never happened or it has happened and no one ever did anything about it. Uh, during our conversation, um, he did mention some of the types of training that they do uh, for hospitality industry. And um, he looked on the website. It's a company that they contract out. However, Dave, to my amazement and his, there was no component, component of guide dog training. Mm. Uh, so, uh, he said he would give uh, my name to the CEO of the company, um, and then they would be in touch with me or CNIB. And, um, but as you know, right now on the Island, uh, it's very, uh, touchy and they're cleaning up from Fiona. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't expect my situation uh, to be top priority at this time. But he did say, let's stay in communication uh, because he said, you know, um, if you brought it forward, then it is an issue. Louise, obviously we understand that, that the cleanup from Fiona is still a big, big pressing issue on the island. Oh, I mean, yeah. people without yeah, power for, for sure. weeks on end. So we understand that said, we also know people can walk and chew gum at the same time. Where where do you <laughs> hope this goes from here? I know you've done some consulting work on this file before, doing some guide dog awareness training. Is this something that you would potentially want to do in conjunction with this third party in PEI that offers some of the training on the island? Well, yes, it would be something I'd like to do because I know that I don't know if you heard in the news, but there was another guide dog issue at the airport yes. uh, in Toronto. So mm -hmm. there is definitely more education, more awareness, more sensitivity that needs to be done. And it should not be so in 2020, Dave. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like we're not starting with guide dogs like we're. <laughs> this has been for years, you know? It's uh, it, it, uh, The frustration, Louise, is something that almost every guide dog handler I talk to, they experience yes. this in some way, shape, or form, yep. whether it's an yep. airline, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a restaurant, yep. whether it's a store, whether exactly. it's an Uber. And the education yep. component is so important. But I think what's happened here, Louise, unfortunately, some of the... Now, I know I'm about to walk into very dangerous territory here. Some of the conversations around support animals has really muddied the waters and it almost doubles it doubles yeah. the importance yeah. of expressing yeah. what a service animal is and what a yeah. guide dog is in relation to a support animal. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, what is the identification of a support animal versus a guide dog? There's so many little intricate interviews and that's why I encourage people to self-advocate and if you're not able to do it like knock at somebody's door that can help you do mm -hmm. it because it's so important if we do not advocate our challenges whether it's a guide dog or anything related to blindness or low vision 
well, how are people going to know? That's right. That's right. And it shouldn't be rocket science. It shouldn't be that no. hard to understand. But it does require consistent messaging. And it does require almost centralized places where folks can go. So, Louise, please keep us posted on this one because it's a really, certainly will. really important story. And we thank you for the advocacy work that you're doing on this. Louise, speaking of really important stuff, Bill C-22, <laughs> Bill C the Canada Disability Benefit. We've talked about it from a couple of different angles on this show, but you wanted to make mention of an event that took place on Parliament Hill in support of the Canada Disability Benefit. So who were some of the local organizations taking part from the New Brunswick point of view? Well, the main organization that um, did, it, it was a rally. It was a Zoom rally because mm. of the weather. And um, there was 35 of us uh, with this different disability that participated. It's the Disability Without Poverty mm -hmm. support group that we got together. Uh, and at the same time in Ottawa, this was launched at one o'clock everywhere where they were doing it. And um, there was phone calls to the MP. I made phone calls for an hour and some people preferred to email or text and we blasted the MPs on the situation. And when I called the MPs, it was amazing, Dave. I thanked them because the day before, October 18th, the C-22 had been passed to a committee. Mm -hmm. What that means is that now they're going to create the bill C-22, all the logistics and details. Then they're going to march over to the Senate. And of course, the Senate is ready to uh, pass it because they agree with the Canadian Disability Benefit Supplement. So um, now, in saying that, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow morning. No, of course not. The rally was to push before Christmas. Uh, there's the, at October 19th, it was 40 days before Christmas, and they wanted at least to bring it somewhere before, uh, you know, so that the committee doesn't sit on it for another two to three years. That's right. You know, so, so, and, and maybe I'll just say this sentence for those that do not know what I'm talking about with the Canadian disability benefits is if you're receiving social services or CPP sick benefit, let's say your amount is 700 a month. Well, if the Senate, all the details of the committee that they created, uh, say, okay, we're going to go with 1500 a month, then you would get the supplement to bring you up to 1500 It's saying that there is no amount yet determined. The details and logistics are not done. That's the committee's uh, a challenge to, to develop. Yeah. So, even even beyond the committee, Louise, it has to go through the provinces as well because because exactly. the, the federal government needs to ensure there's not going to be provincial clawbacks because that's what yes. happens with so much provincial disability support right now is that, yeah. oh, you made a little bit of income? Well, we're going to claw back some of your supports. What Carla yeah. Qualtro, the federal minister for disability, is trying to do here is one, create a framework at the federal level 
to, through committee, figure out more fine details, who's eligible, what the amounts might look like, yeah. and then yeah. three, having exactly. to go to, through the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominique Leblanc, and start working with the provinces to say, listen, you cannot claw back money off the provincial supports if we give this money. L- Louise, I, I, we've talked about this on the show with a lot of different contributors, and we will again mm-hmm. next week with Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller. But I'm curious, from your perspective, your feeling on the importance of a benefit like this? Well, the importance is that you know, now this is personally is not going to apply to me because I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, me either. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, uh, it's important because I see my friends who live in poverty, and you know, they do without. They do without. Uh, as we know, everything is going up, uh, has gone up in power and food. And so they live in poverty. They don't have drives to go to food banks. Um, you know, I'm helping two neighbors because they can't meet the food yeah. every month. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there is, it is something very serious uh, and it needs to be dealt with uh, federal and provincial and uh, once the provincial has their funding for this program, then, you know, we're going to pound their doors. Yeah, yeah. And to make sure that it's carried out, like, even though I, it's not a benefit to me, uh, that's fine. It's so critical. It's so critical. It's so critical for so many people who are struggling. Louise, you mentioned the economic circumstances that a lot of people are feeling right now. But we know yeah. when it comes to these issues, disproportional. Yeah is the word when we relate it to disability, that people with disabilities are disproportionately impacted. So we just had some numbers come out last week from Food Banks Canada saying that we're looking at food bank usage levels higher than 2019. We had more data come out yesterday from researchers in Saskatchewan saying we're looking at the most food bank usage since 2016, which was the peak of food bank usage in Canada. We also just had some information come out from Equifax today about Canadians carrying record amounts of credit card balances month over month over two thousand dollars and twenty one thousand dollars in total of unsecured debt louise the the economic situation is quite dire for people right now and again disproportionately impacting people with disabilities yeah yeah and then you know it's not fair in this darn age that disabled people have to do without yeah it's not yeah exactly it's disgusting Totally disgusting in my book. Louise, let's uh, go on to the other (laughs) thing that we we sometimes rib you about a little bit. It's the retail therapy we do to get over the disgusting times that we live in. (laughs) And you engaged in some here, but this was very, very pragmatic and practical from the Braille store. A personal emergency kit. So I want to know what's included in the kit, but I also want to know what maybe drove you to hit buy on this one. Well, uh... Now, we've been fortunate here where I live. We did not lose power with Fiona, only two minutes, so it's not worth mentioning. Anyway, um, but I, I, when we lived in Nova Scotia, we had lots of shortage of power and days on days. So I created my own personal kit, um, emergency kit, and you can buy some, but there was stuff missing. You know, the, there was stuff missing for um, my guide dog. You know, the, there was no toys in it. Mm. Um, uh, there was, um, for example, lighting. It was candles that you lit with a lighter. Well, forget that for a blind person. So I went out and bought uh, 
solar lanterns. I bought a whole bunch of tea lights and we used to put them all around the apartment. And um, because don't forget, Although I'm blind, you live with sighted people, number one. Number two, the dog needs to see where mm-hmm, he's going. Mm-hmm. Other people coming in need to see where they're going. And then for food, it's water that you need a lot, a lot of. Um, so I keep three large jugs of water on hand that I put in my water machine all the time. Uh in case of when you know something is going to happen, then you can even freeze some water. Yes. So, you know, it, it unthaws a little bit at a time, a little bit. And then for food, there's snacks. But if you want to eat healthy, you can't cook. There's no power. What about um, we bought protein powder, vanilla and mm-hmm. chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you need your vegetables. So we bought organic green powder. Um, and you just mix that with water. Uh, the, the protein powder is a meal. Uh, you get your vegetables. You can mix it all together and drink it. Um, you know, you can make snacks ahead, healthy snacks, if you know something's going to happen. Because in Nova Scotia, like we were like almost two weeks one time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, and there was no money. So keep some money in the emergency kit. Like we, we live the, the experience. It doesn't mean that you have to keep a lot of money, but like keep anywhere, if you can, 60 to 100, because you can run and maybe get some uh, hot coffee somewhere. That's right, right, yeah. Out, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not because you're going to go for a grocery, but you can run and get a few things that maybe a loaf of bread uh, That's somewhere. Right. That's right. You and know, when, and peanut butter and, and jelly, like, come on, that makes a meal. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that's it, Louise. What did, what did we learn during the Rogers outage earlier this year, right? That it's, exactly. not, it's not just about power. Sometimes it's telecom outages and having cash on that day was a very, very useful thing as even some of the banks weren't spitting out uh, money at the exactly. ATMs. Exactly. And then the banks, you know, they're not as efficient as they used to be like it took two days for our bank even though we didn't lose power that much to operate the atm so yeah um you know and and charge keep your iphone charge at oh all yeah. yeah 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 all times you know that's your way of communicating um, portable chargers, portable chargers, Louise, they're not, they're not exactly. very expensive. You can get them at Biro Angro or Staples for like 10 bucks and they can charge your phone three or four times. And there's even exactly. some, there's even some that are a little bit better. They even have like power outlets on them. They can have like exactly. a day's worth of power. Now those are a little yeah. more pricey, but depending yeah. on your needs, like for example, if you use a ventilator or some kind of, or some kind of yes. like sleep apnea machine, those are yeah. ones that if you keep yeah. yourself uh, with those kinds of power banks, they can be really, ben- really beneficial as well. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so you, what I did is what do we need in a day? What do we need in five days? And that's how I developed the my personal yeah. uh, emergency kit. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's different for everybody, but at least some ideas that 
you know, you can put into it. Yeah, and after five days, we're in a Mad Max Walking Dead scenario, so then it's just the apocalypse, <laughs> and that's just a different... That You can't plan for that. That's just, you know... No, huge. you can't not <laughs> plan for that. So, Dave, I just want to let everybody know November 29th is my last uh, AMI uh, for this year, and so it'll be a Christmas one. Okay, all right, that's it. So, we're, so you know what I'm going to declare this? November 29th, that's when Christmas celebrations start on now with Dave Brown. All right. You had me scared for a second there, Louise. I, I thought you were going to say it was your last appearance. I was like, that, no, I didn't, no, I didn't no, no, get that memo. I was going to send Marianne a really snarky email. Be like, you got to tell me about these things. No, 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 no. Uh, Louise, you're the best. Thank you for this. Thank you, Dave. Have a great, great month. <laughs> That's Louise Levesque Burley, community reporter for us out there in New Brunswick. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update, and Brock Richardson will be here for a sports chat. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, November the 1st, 2022. November begins. 2022 is almost at its end. And yet we're still here. Well done, everyone. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Nelson Rego explains how to set up bedtime mode on the Android 13 operating system. And it's another edition of the News Quiz. Mike Ross, Karen McGee, and Jim Crisco will be put to the test by me. I've got the questions in my hand. Paul Daniel put them together, and these things are as valuable as gold. Or at the very least, a Bitcoin. Well, maybe an Ethereum. Maybe not full Bitcoin. Let's begin the hour with the regional news update. The B.C. government and family physicians have reached a tentative three-year agreement. The deal comes with a $135,000 a year pay raise. Doctors of B.C. President Dr. Ramik Doshanj says the model is a whole new way of doing things. We're listening to the concerns of many of our family doctors that have left practice or have been contemplating actually leaving. Many physicians across the province had actually given me a deadline of wanting to leave practice because the conditions were so hard. This new payment model enforces the support. It bolsters support for physicians providing the longitudinal family practice care that they have been to their patients. Dr. Desange believes this will help retain family doctors and recruit family doctors into the province. Over to the prairies, the Manitoba government is offering more money to shelters and raising a rental subsidy in an attempt to reduce homelessness. Premier Heather Stephenson, oh my goodness, did I just butcher the premier's name? Premier Heather Stephenson says the province will more than double its annual funding to shelters, transitional housing services, and homeless outreach programs to $15 million. A bus shelter is not an acceptable place to live. I'm confident that these initiatives will have a strong positive impact on individuals, their families, and our community as a whole. The government is also boosting its rent-assist subsidy for people on income assistance to 77% of median market rent, up from 75%. The Manitoba government also says a new license plate could be in place by next summer to raise money for families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Justice Minister Kelvin Gurtzen offered an update. 
So I spoke to MPI last week and I asked them to make it a priority. Clearly there'll be some consultations probably around the design of the of the plate as there should be. Um, there's more work to be done in terms of who actually receives the funding for the plates. The opposition New Democrats have put forward a private member's bill to create the plate, but Gortzen says the license plate can be done without passing a bill. Over to Ontario. Ontario lawmakers were up before dawn to debate a time-sensitive bill that would impose a four-year contract on education workers and thwart their strike plans. The Progressive Conservative government ordered the legislature back at 5 a.m. this morning. The legislation comes after the Canadian Union of Public Employees said its 55,000 school librarians, custodians and early childhood educators would start a full strike on Friday to back salary increases of 11.7% a year. The government says the mandatory deal holds holds raises of between 1.5 and 2.5% a year. CUPE plans to stage a protest walkout on Friday in spite of the imposed contract and strike ban. And then over to the Atlantic provinces, New Brunswick is expanding its parent subsidy to include newcomers to the province. The funding will help internationally recruited workers and Ukrainian families pay for childcare services. Changes to regulations under the Early Childhood Services Act have removed permanent residency as an eligibility requirement for the subsidy. Education Minister Bill Hogan says the decision is aimed at promoting long-term growth in the province. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for Sports Chat. Okay, Brock, let's start with some controversy because it continues to swirl around Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I'm going to play a news clip from Brian Clark, and there is some insensitive language used in naming a book title. Here's the story. Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Sy said he wants to sit down with Kyrie Irving and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. But Saturday night, the Nets star said, I'm not going to stand down on anything that I believe in. I'm only going to get stronger because I'm not alone. I have a whole army around me. The first time Irving spoke to the media since he posted about an anti-Semitic book and movie called Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America. Did I do anything illegal? Did I hurt anybody? Did I harm anybody? Am I going out and saying that I hate one specific group of people. In a statement Saturday, the NBA did not name Irving, but said hate speech of any kind is unacceptable. Brian Clark, ABC News, New York. So, Brock, understanding that we're about to wander into some dangerous territory, you have some thoughts on this. Lay them on me. The thoughts are um, that I believe as athlete. well, let me put it to you this way. As certain parts of the world, we... We have to hold ourselves to a different account. When we are members of the media, we have to be careful of things we say as we're venturing down this rabbit hole. When we are athletes, when we are celebrities, anything like that, when we become who we are, we then know what we take on. And I think even though Kyrie Irving didn't do anything wrong, didn't go you know, again, something like he's allowed to do as a human being what it is he wants to do. Sure. But I think when you are an athlete and you have a fan base and there is adults, children who who follow you, you have to be sensitive to what everyone thinks, because, again, you are in the media. The light shines on you. And when your owner comes and says, we need to have a conversation. You owe that to the guy 
who cuts your check, who obviously thinks that what you've done is damaging to the organization at the very least. So that's my thoughts on Kyrie Irving. The book and film in question, which I'm not going to name because I don't use one of the words uh, in that name of the book, but it was mentioned in Brian Clark's reports, has largely been debunked as mostly conspiratorial, uh, particularly claims that Jewish people were the people running the slave ships uh, across the Atlantic in the transatlantic slave trade. Um, That is factually incorrect, and that's a huge crux of what's alleged in the book and the documentary film. There is, as you put it, Brock, a responsibility that comes with platform. And Kyrie Irving is someone who considers himself a free thinker, much like Aaron Rodgers, much like Joe Rogan, much like a lot of characters who we're seeing emerge in the space. And we give people more easy access to a platform. And I think what's happening here is because people are famous and because they want to shout out, into, shout out into the void of social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, take your pick, we've lost that sense of if Kyrie Irving wants to be at a dinner party and spew some conspiracy theories amongst his friends and then his friends can either yell at him or support him or they can have a bizarre conversation That's one thing, but when we're talking about places that are very public, like social media, you're bringing something different to the table. And what are you using your platform for in regards to spreading misinformation and not having these conversations in good faith? And I think that a lot of very famous people are losing that conception. That, that they believe that, oh, I can say whatever I want on social media. It's a country of free speech. Yes, you will not be arrested for putting that on social media. But yeah, it may affect your advertisements. We spent a lot of time talking about Kanye West last week and some of the goodies that have gone away from him as a result of him using a lot of anti-Semitic tropes over the course of the last couple of weeks. There can be consequences that are not legal consequences for spewing atrocious garbage. And that's what it boils down to. Yeah, it does. And I'll even, you know, to a point that you just made, even if you are Kyrie Irving and you decide to spew out, you know, non-factual information at a dinner party, you're still subjecting yourself to trusting that your friends, knowing who you are, aren't going to go and, and spread this in places because people know exactly who Kyrie Irving is. And they know exactly what kind of damage can be done, even at a dinner party where you feel you are safe and who he might feel that he can trust. You can't always know where is safe to put out your opinion in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. So to me, and and the thing is, and I'll go back to what I said, the owner has the right to, to sit down and have a conversation and for Kyrie to say, you know, to basically throw words out there and say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, but the guy who pays you wants to have a conversation, and I'm sure we'll know the details, at least on some level, of what that conversation will be. But you did this, and now you have to suffer, quote-unquote, the consequences that may go along with that. Yeah, and when he asked the question, did did I hurt anyone? 
yeah, you probably did, actually. <laughs> like, you probably yeah. definitely did hurt someone when you started sharing conspiratorial movies and books uh, out there that target Jewish people. Like, yeah, you you, you probably did hurt somebody. Uh, let, let's yeah. be very clear about that. Brock, let's move on to something happier in a sense. Maybe happier but for people who dislike ish. the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're all having good times, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are having some troubles. And uh, every now and then, I do want to open up the floodgates here and get your take on troubles in Leafland. I um, here it is. Uh, let me be clear: this record that the Toronto Maple Leafs have, as we sit here, uh, Tuesday, November first, is four, four, and two, which is eerily similar to what they had last year. And then they went on a 15 and two run thereafter. Here's the problem I see with this this year. Number one, you have a team who hasn't found themselves. You also have a coach who I believe has lost his authority with his team. I believe you have three players in Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, who are tied purely to Kyle Dubas because He's the guy that was around when they got their contracts. That's cool. The problem is Kyle Dubas is not holding them to account because every season we hear, oh, we're so close, we're so close, we're so close. Well, what happens if you take away one Kyle Dubas? Then someone else coming in is going to look at the situation with a clean slate and a clean mind and say, what are we doing? With this team. Number number three, you have a guy in Sheldon Keefe who is similar to one John Snyder, who was supposed to come in and be the voice of reason with all these young guys, and to me is beginning, if not already, to lose the room. Who is the guy you're gonna turn to as your next savior, Toronto Maple Leafs? Because you've already used that bullet. Who's the guy that's going to come in and make a difference? Now, am I saying this 4-4-2 record is terrible? No. But am I saying we're going to go on a 15-2 run? No, because what I'm seeing is not good in Leafland right now. There, there is that element of four, four, and two is not an outright disaster, especially with the California trip happening so early in the year. And then the team's still pulling some points out of those games as well. But there is always that hyper-focus that exists in Leafsland. And I, I think that even some folks might be watching this this morning and saying, typical Toronto fans, 500's not good enough. But those would be the same folks who would accuse Toronto fans of being really excited if they were winning a bunch of games, planning the parade already in Toronto. I think that there's sometimes an unfairness in the way that people perceive Toronto Maple Leafs fans. That said, Brock, it does seem like there's a listlessness on the ice right now. The team seems a little uninspired. That might be a Sheldon Keefe thing. That might be a roster construction thing. With the salary cap situation, with the number of players under contract, it's a pretty difficult puzzle to get out of. Brock, do you believe that Kyle Dubas should be given the mandate to try and fix this if he wants to, whether that be trades, coach firings, etc. I don't think a coach firing does much. I think that just points to the players and say, yet again, we win. I look at Kyle Dubas and I say, you're the one that constructed this roster with two goaltenders who neither, neither are a bona fide starter. And one of them 
you would have had to be silly not to recognize that he would have got injured in Matt Murray. I mean, that to me is squarely on on the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, I, I look at Mitch Marner in the game against um, Anaheim, who got pointed at, at by Sheldon Keefe and basically from what we can tell was called out and then subsequently went down the tunnel and threw a adult tantrum. That tells me that you're not giving the coach his authority that you need. And if I'm Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, I'm walking down there at some point, maybe not now with a 500 record, but I'm walking down there and either defending my coach or moving on and saying, okay, guys, here's the next guy. And this guy, I'm not moving. But Sheldon Keefe was supposed to be the answer to the question. So I don't know what's happening. Again, a 4-4, 4-4-2 four and four, four, four and two record is not, you know, let's fall off a cliff. But there are some things that I'm looking at going, yikes, this is not good. And most other Canadian organizations are at least holding their head above water, even some that aren't supposed to. So... Yeah, Brock, let me ask you one more question here. Well, we were going to talk a little more basketball. Let's save that for tomorrow. We'll do a basketball and baseball run tomorrow. But let me ask you one more Leafs related question here. One of the things that's notable is that after next season, the Austin Matthews contract runs out. And in the subsequent seasons, the William Nylander and Mitch Marner contracts are going to be running out. How much of this do you think may actually have to do with these players already contemplating where the money's at? Uh, probably about at least 75% of it. But you would hope that when you're playing into a contract, and I know there's one more season, you would hope that you're starting to play a little bit better because you want to see that big bag of cash be rolled out and dumped in your lawn on, on some <laughs> you know mansion somewhere. I, I was hoping to see better play from, from this core. Maybe they don't all want to be in Toronto. That's fair. That's fine. That's what you're entitled to do. But to me, I've got to see better play because if I'm any team, although there are other teams that will look at a situation and say, yeah, well, they played in Toronto, which is one of the toughest places to play in media. We we can be the difference. We're, we're gung-ho. We don't have a Leaf jersey on, you know, all that. That's going to be there. People will pay them because they are who they are. But I want to be seeing better play, especially if you're headed into contract years, not this year, but after next season. Brock, you are the host of The Neutral Zone. What's coming up on the show today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio? I am indeed. And what's coming up is more Kyrie Irving talk. We spent a, a lot of time discussing that as well. Plus, we got on to discussing the um, Cruisers Cup para ice hockey event that's happening in uh, Brampton this coming weekend. As uh, one of my co-hosts, Josh Watson, is uh, taking part in that. And we talk about uh, playing a tournament versus a league game and how that's different from one to the other. Right on. Really good conversation coming up. uh, Love it. Today. Brock, thanks for this, my friend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. A little baseball and basketball tomorrow. The two Bs. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Probably should be four Bs. Basketball, baseball. Four Bs tomorrow with Brock Richardson. Oh, my gosh. It's a fifth B. Brock, have a great day. You too. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone. Mike Ross is here. He has the national weather updates. (laughs) 
Ooh, is Mike on mute or did we mute Mike or is Mike got, muted? Ah, now we got Mike. Oh. Cornerbrook, Newfoundland is where we're going to start your AMI national weather forecast, Dave. Mainly cloudy today with a high of 11. Charlottetown, mainly cloudy and a high of 15. Let's go to St. John next. It'll be cloudy and there's a high of 16 degrees. Quebec City, mainly cloudy today with a high of 10. Toronto will be cloudy. The high will be 18 degrees. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 14. Let's go to Brandon, Manitoba, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 13. Regina is going to have a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 12 degrees. Let's go to Lethbridge, rain, and the temperature will drop to zero this afternoon. Up in Red Deer, mainly cloudy today, snow beginning late in the afternoon. The high is plus one, the wind chill minus seven. White Horse, mainly cloudy, <coughs> excuse me, mainly cloudy with a high of minus six. The wind chill, that's what's getting me coughing here. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be the wind. Yeah. Minus 19 uh, this morning. It will get a little bit warmer, though. I don't know if minus 12 this afternoon is a wind chill really qualifies as a lot warmer. Uh, Kelowna, BC is next, mainly cloudy and a high of seven. And Vancouver, a mix of sun and cloud near uh, noon and through the rest of the afternoon with a high of nine degrees. And that's your national weather report here on AMI from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll talk to Mike a little bit later in the hour, but coming up next, Nelson Rago will explain how to set up bedtime mode on Android 13. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's jump into the world of assistive technology with the founder of Cool Blind Tech, Nelson Rago. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's begin with Mita Solutions or Mida Solutions, an Italian telecommunications company that has developed a new attendant console for people with vision loss. Nelson, there's a lot of buzzwords there, so I need you yeah. to break this down for me. What exactly is an attendant console? Uh, it's it's uh, essentially it's a software-based uh, solution that uh, provides controls um, for call management features, uh, such as incoming uh, calls and transferring calls. Uh, so it's uh, pretty much an interface that the uh, uh, customer service rep uh, would interface with uh, while they're on a call with someone. So this particular uh, revamp they're doing here is for that application. What did they focus on to make the application more accessible? Uh, well, they, they wanted to make it uh, more simplified uh, for the end user. In this case, um, for the people that um, have vision loss, uh, they wanted to uh, make navigation easier and also uh, to customize the interface so uh, the person can actually uh, have it suited uh, to their specific needs um, and accessibility needs. Uh, and of course, to make it more efficient uh, so they, uh, they can go through their calls quicker. So what are some of the new features that are being included in this in this revamp of the application? Uh, they, they've enabled uh, shortcuts. Uh, so if you want to have like favorites, um, you could have uh, certain favorites on, on default, uh, some information uh, in areas of the screen. Um, they've also allowed you to have uh, uh, changing the colors of the, the text, uh, changing the font size of the text. Uh, there's a feature in there where inbound calls 
it'll uh, I guess it'll beep as it's uh, coming. It'll give you a beep notification. I also give you beep uh, reminders. Uh, so if there's something uh, that you're supposed to do, it'll give you those uh, audible uh, feedback um, so that you can uh, uh, you know keep up with your um, work. Um, those are the the ones that kind of stood out for me. I'm I'm still a little confused here, Nelson. Like, who is this for exactly? Like, like what is the purpose of this of this Meta Solutions uh, attendant console? Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, so as you call in, you'll get a call center, and that that person uh, who's taking the call, uh, they're going to interface with a screen on their end. Uh, so this could allow them to be more efficient, and obviously, uh, um, going to provide more opportunities for people with vision loss. Uh, to do this type of work in, in that part of the country. Okay, so. okay. So be for an employee with a disability to ensure that more employees with disabilities can work inside the Meta Solutions. Oh, house. yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay, all right. You see, that makes a little more sense to me. Nelson, let's uh, jump over from an Italian telecom company to bedtime. Your tech tip this week is all about how maybe we might be able to put our phone a little further away, at least if we have a phone with Android 13 on it in bedtime mode. Yeah, here's a tech guy telling you to use your phone less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, uh, I, I grabbed uh, this uh, offline uh, uh, for Pixel users. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get some Android stuff in here once in a while. And we appreciate uh, but... it. As Android folks, we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, if you're a Pixel user, uh, and, and then your, your um, interface might... Uh, be different depending on what Android phone you have, but it's essentially the same. So if you go to uh, settings uh, and then you go to uh, digital well-being uh, and then in there, uh, you'll be able to turn on or off uh, the feature of uh, uh, do not disturb uh, uh, during uh, bedtime. Um, it was on in in, uh, in my case when I was like checking it out. So, uh, so it may be on by default, uh, but from there you can also uh, adjust the schedule so you can have it uh, certain times and days so it uh, it uh, goes to do not disturb mode at a certain time if if you're on a schedule. Uh, there's also a feature in there that allows you to actually enable it uh, when you plug in your phone to charge. Um, that way, uh, and you can also set a schedule for that as well. So it only works uh, at a certain time. Let's say uh, you program the feature from nine at night to seven in the morning, uh, and you plug your phone in you'll uh, go on do not disturb mode. But if you do it during the day, uh, it won't go on do not disturb mode. It'll still charge your phone. So uh, that's pretty much the, the basic setup of it. Uh, there's other features that you can customize as well to, to make it more suitable for what you're looking for. But uh, uh, if you're just looking for your phone to turn off uh, while you're asleep and you don't want all these notifications to go off um, you know, while you're trying to get some sleep, then it's uh, definitely uh, something to look into. Yeah, I would like that because typically these phones, when they know your hands aren't on them, all of a sudden then it's beep, 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 beep. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's like they can sense, oh, he's not paying attention to me. Now it's time to feed him some notifications. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to make to let to let my booty calls still get through, you know, because uh, every now and then, <laughs> 2, 3 in the morning, the booty call comes in and you got to text back BTB. Bring that booty. Yeah, I, I think it has. I know um, iOS users has that feature. If the, if you call more than one time, it'll allow you the second emergency call uh, to come in. So I think <laughs> Android probably has I, that. I, as well. I, I don't know if emergency calls and booty calls are the same thing, but either way, you know what? It, it maybe, might be for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe in the hack. Although I don't think I've had a booty call in about a decade, so I think I think we're oh, okay. doing okay. Uh, Nelson, thank you for this, my friend. Have a great day. Great, take care. That's Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech, talking to us from snowy Edmonton coming up after the break. We'll 
do a little bit of roundtable talking about Taylor Swift's new album, setting all kinds of records. Although I'm dubious. I'm dubious of calling it a record. Either way, we'll bring in Rummy and Nazreen and Mike and uh, chat all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's turn to the world of entertainment where Taylor Swift has made history on the Billboard Top 100 chart. Margie Sazaleta explains. The top 10 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 are all by Taylor Swift. She is the first artist in the 64 years of the chart to do that. Drake has come the closest when he held nine of the top 10 spots for a week in September 2021. Antihero is the number one song this week with Lavender Haze at number two. All 10 songs are from Swift's Midnight's album, which moved 1.578 million units in its first week of release. It's not only the number one album, after a week, it's already the top-selling album of 2022. I'm Archie Zaroleta. First of all, who's still buying albums? But let's talk about this more broadly with Nizreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan. Hey, good morning, Nizreen. Good morning. And hello, Ramya. Hey, Dave. So, Nizreen, what do you think? Is this just the reality of digital musical distribution that we're going to have an artist taking up the entire top 10 of the Billboard 100? Or is it a testament that Tay-Tay has actually made a back-to-front killer album? So she broke that record by Drake, which was set last year with nine songs out of 10. Again, the world of digital distribution. To me, it's kind of like the box office numbers of, of movies, right? Of course, the Avengers made more money than Titanic. Ticket prices are three times higher in 2019 than 1998. But Nazreen, what do you think? When I found this out, I was shocked, uh, unbelievably shocked. I didn't expect that from Taylor Swift. I mean, she's good. I, I, there's no uh, hate on Tay-Tay. I like her. I'm just not a huge Swifty fan, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't say that like the whole album was perfect. And that's why I'm like, mm, is it the reality? Because I don't remember any artist that made a perfect album, to be honest. Even even Drake's album, there has to be one or two songs that you're like, okay, it's not like I'm vibing with it every day. You know what I mean? Weezer's so, blue album would like to have a word. <laughs> I, perfect. I, yeah. I was going to ask you, is there an artist that you feel like they made a perfect whole oh, album? Okay. Hold, hold that question. Hold that. That's such yeah. a good, hold that question. That's such a good question. <laughs> hold it for one second though. Cause I want to give Rumia the same opportunity to okay. uh, respond to my old guy yelling at clouds. Take Rumia. Mm. Is this just the kids with their easy to play music on the Spotify playing 10 songs in a row? Yeah, yo, it really is. I mean, the thing is, you can re-listen to an album 30 times on Spotify in a row over a weekend right after its midnight release, and then boom, you know, like if enough people do that, the artist is uh, popping. But the thing is, when when you say album sales, I'm wondering the same thing. Like, are, are we technically talking about people buying albums, even if it is online, or in, are we talking about streaming so in that, on Spotify? In, in that case, that is album buys. The, the, the 1.4 million album, like, because the amount of streams is way higher than 1.4 million yeah. that's people who actually bought the record 
Okay, that's unbelievable to me, for real. Um, and I'm also still getting caught up on Taylor's new nicknames. I'm loving this. Um, the thing is, I think that now people have a lot of access, and so super fans will e immediately make a thing. That's the thing, right? Super uh, Taylor Swift has a lot of super fans. Oh, like, yeah. She is up there with Beyonce and whoever yeah. else we're going to throw the, in and, there. And so, the, the, BT, the BTKs and the... Yeah. Is that it? The BTKs, yeah. the K-pop band? Yeah, BTK, the, BTS. BTS, B, yeah. BTK was a Canadian uh, oh, rap rap rock band from the 1990s. So I got <laughs> got that one right. Or like the One Direction, sorry, the for, for the yes. for the Nazarene folks out there. Like the, the, ones, yeah. the onesies are still out there. Yeah. The Jonas Brothers, one, right? Yeah. Like the, when Jonas you have Brothers. enough... And I'm curious to know the fan base, like... Uh, who predominantly is part of Taylor Swift fan base. I'm not going to sit here and assume because that just would not be okay. But the, that I think is a big deal because Taylor Swift, even in the last couple of years, she would drop a photo of a potential teaser. She would say nothing about it and people would go absolutely wild um, trying to get a hold of what that, that could mean. So mm -hmm. I'm not surprised in that sense, but I am surprised about the album sales. Between the music that she's re-recording because of Strife with her old record label and between new records, I think she has two or three in the last couple of years in terms of yep. just new music. Taylor Swift has got to be one of the hardest working people in the music industry. That's that's passion. That's someone who like really cares about their craft. Yeah, she really does. And she's made um, so much of an impact by doing all kinds of other things, either whether it be philanthropic or just um, having her say out there when something is going on in the industry and she's not having it. She has been pretty vocal about that, which I think has created an even bigger following for her. Nazreen, you posed such an awesome question that we cannot leave this conversation without at least engaging in it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing as a perfect album? I think you gave away your answer a little bit, but but go a little deeper for me. I would I would say my main perfect album would be the old Lil Wayne Carter album. The Carter's <laughs> okay. album. That was okay. That was my number one choice. That's my favorite album, to be honest. Um, I would play that from beginning to end, no problem. But I I don't remember any other artist that had a perfect album that I would listen to from the beginning to the end, like every day, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'm, I'm very partial to Weezer's Blue Album. It's only about 32 minutes long. It's 10 songs. It's pretty tight. And it was a song that got played a lot when I was in high school. And even to this day, I'll still listen to that record back to front. I'd say for me, that's pretty close to an all-timer perfect record. Uh, Ramya, what about you? Is there such a thing as a perfect album? I don't think so. I'm going to have to say that it's very subjective and, and you're really just naming your favorite albums because the perfect album sense like what does that even come from right it's it's no skips like for example like that you would never skip a song yeah sure but it can everybody agree with that like the thing is i think the more you listen to an album the more you can tune into how much you love it but is that really like for example what is it called mad uh kendrick lamar's album oh my god good that, kid good kid mad city good kid mad city Ooh. that was an amazing album right but the more you listen to it the more in tune you got to it so does it qualify as a perfect album? I don't know. But there was a lot of storytelling. 
I, I think there's still skips on that album, though. I think there are songs that yeah. I would skip yeah. on Good Kid, Mad City. I, I would. Yeah. Mm, that, I, I do agree with you, Ramya. Whenever we're talking about art, the notion of perfection yeah. is impossible, right? There, there is yeah. no such thing. It's the same thing as a TV show or a radio show or a podcast. There's no such thing as a perfect show. There's always going to be something we can quibble with. That said, the man, Weezer's Blue album or Nazarene's uh, Lil Wayne album, I think I think we're, we Carter was great. Yeah, Carter's a great record. So yeah, there's good. there's definitely wow. something there. Nazreen, we have to say goodbye to you. So you have a nice day. You too. Ramia, I need to ask you a very important question because you guys had a huge announcement on Kelly and Company yesterday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You came in on a vacation day yesterday to talk about this huge announcement for for Kelly and Company, which will not be called Kelly and Company in January. Lay it on us, Romeo. Lay it, let us know. Yes. Oh, man, it's going to be so fun. We talked about moving to television, which the launch date for that is January 9th, 2023. Um, we're super excited. If you go back and listen to that nine-minute convo between Kelly and I, we tell you specifically what we're excited about. Also, the name is transitioning to Kelly and Romeo, which yeah. is very, very fun. I know. I'm so it's excited, accurate. It's about to, It's about time we got Romeo's name on the masthead. <laughs> yeah, we got to share the couch, right? So it's, uh, it's going to be really... Really, really, really fun. Um, I'm very excited because today we're talking. Yesterday we 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 chatted a lot, but today we're talking to John Melville, of course, Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI Audio and AMI TV. He's going to join us to tell us more about the background of the transition and what to expect next for those who are wondering, you know, and and um, curious about that. So we're talking about that with John Melville on the show. We also have Francis Wong telling us to get ready to go winter boot shopping. I don't even want to oh hear about gosh. it. But... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but she says there's a lot to consider. So uh, she's going to give us all the tips and tricks on getting your next pair of winter boots. And this is kind of a throwback. But on October 27th, Dan W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind in Brantford um, hosted their Walk for Windjack event. And this is organized by Georgia East. She's a staff member at the school. And we're talking about this more today because there was a couple uh, amazing memories from students who participated and they want to share it with us. Ramya, thank you for this. We appreciate it. No problem. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, soon to be Kelly and Ramya on January the 9th. There's going to be some impacts uh, around programming on AMI-tv as well as that happens. We'll keep you posted as there's going to be a small hiatus for now with Dave Brown for a couple weeks as well as, as Ramya and Kelly get a new TV show. We're getting a new studio. So all kinds of new technology changes afoot here. So sometime in December, we're going to be off the air for a couple of weeks, but we'll keep you appraised of that a little closer to those dates. Coming up after the break, it's the weekly news quiz. We'll have Karen McGee. We'll have Mike Ross and we'll have Jim Crisco. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday, and we wrap up the show in a very particular way. We have the weekly news quiz. Because there's a little bit of a head cold and my throat is filled with things that do not quite allow me to project in the way that I like to. I will not be hooting and hollering, but I am still delighted to bring in Jim Crisco as part of this quiz. Hello, Jim. 
Hello. Uh, you can also call me the red shirt on Star Trek because that's pretty much where I end up. <laughs> cannon fodder. We brought no. in some fresh cannon fodder <laughs> on the news quiz. It's Jim Crisco. And the cannon themselves is Karen McGee out there in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hello, Karen. Hello, Dave. Hello, boys. And we have Mike Hello. we have Mike Ross stepping in. He's tip he used to be the quiz host and now he's a quiz contestant. Mike, thank you for stepping in. My pleasure. Now Y'all probably know the rules, but I may as well read them just in case it's somebody's first time. We have three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice answers. If you answer the question without hearing the option, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants and questions were developed and drawn by Paul Daniel. So the order will be Mike Ross, Karen McGee, and Jim Crisco. Mike, question number one of round number one going to you. Last week, a 30-minute tour turned into 30 hours after a malfunctioning elevator stranded tourists at which location? I have no idea, so I will need the options. Was it the Washington Monument, the Grand Canyon Caverns, or the USS Arizona Memorial? I'll say the Grand Canyon. That is correct. One point right. for Mike Ross. Some of the tourists were able to leave via emergency stairs, but not all of them were physically capable of using them. Hello, accessibility. Karen McGee, question number two, coming over to you. Which convicted killer was moved from San Quentin State Prison this week, more than two years after his death sentence was overturned? I'll take the choices, please. Was it Scott Peterson, Shelley Brooks, or Andrew Mickle? C. Incorrect, Jim. Was uh, it? I'll was go it with Scott Peterson? That is correct. Jim gets the point with Scott Peterson. Peterson is now serving a life sentence without parole at the Mule Creek State Prison in Ion, California. Jim, let's get to you for question number three of round number one. Which sportswear company cut its ties with Kanye West, stating the company does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech? Mm. I'm going to throw it up there. I, I, I think it's Adidas. That is correct. Two points for Jim. Adidas says it stands to lose $246 million in 2022 by dropping the Yeezy line. Of course, they already made hundreds of millions of dollars uh, with Yeezy prior to that and really didn't seem to care about the accusations of violence against women. So there it is. Round number one has come to an end. Jim, the cannon fodder, in the lead with three <laughs> points. Mike has one and Karen has a big zilcheroonie. But Karen, you get the first question of round number two. A pair of tickets to this performer's concert in Las Vegas later this month is being sold for $800,000 on StubHub. Which performer is it? Elton John? That is incorrect. Mike, would you like the, would you like the options or would you like to take a stab at it? Yeah, I'd like to take a stab at it, but I'm going to take the options. Is it The Weeknd? Is it Harry Styles of onesie fame or Adele? Or is it D? I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I'm going to guess Harry Styles. That is incorrect, Jim. An mm. opportunity to cash Ooh. one of these points or else I get a point. 
it has to be Adele. That is correct. Jim Crisco just cleaning up over here. Weekends with Adele, the singer's anticipated four-month residency at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, kicks off on November the 18th. $800,000, though. I better get something real special if I'm spending four-fifths of a million dollars on a pair of concert tickets. Jim, you have an opportunity here to take a commanding lead. What Canadian university last week offered an apology for past racist actions against black students? Oh, I'll need the options, please. Was it the University of Laval, the University of British Columbia, or Concordia? I'm going to go with Concordia. Oh, my gosh. Jim Crisco is just killing it. Concordia University issued the apology for its mishandling of the 1969 Sir George Williams student incident in which students protested the university's handling of a racism complaint. Mike, question number three of round number two. I'm 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 not playing anymore. This is what I get for being cocky earlier. Uh, uh, Jim Crisco. You know, it's not over. There's still many points to be awarded here. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. Okay. Mike, last week, a Saskatchewan MLA apologized for inviting this person to attend the province's speech from the throne. (sighs) Colin Thatcher. That is correct. Two points for Mike Ross. I I hate to say that name, but... Yeah, that's who it was. MLA, MLA Lyle Stewart said he invited Thatcher because he was a constituent and longtime friend. And uh, Stewart has now been stripped of his duties by, uh, by the premier. That news broke this morning. Let's jump into round number three. But before we do, we have Jim with five points, Mike with three, and Karen still sitting on that goose egg. But there's still six points available here. So Karen can come from behind in dramatic fashion. <laughs> Potentially. Jim, first question going to you. In a quarterly earnings report released last week, which tech company reported profit losses of more than 50% from a year ago? Uh, I'll take a guess. Uh, Meta, Facebook? Oh, my gosh. Jim Crisco just throwing lobs out send here. Jim all the, I'm, I, did somebody send you all the questions ahead of time, Jim? I'm, I'm like, it's, I, someone's, I'm, someone's behind the camera with a whiteboard, right, Jim? <laughs> right? And, and, and an iPad? Is that, is that what's happening here? I won't give up my secrets. Profits at Meta Yeesh. were down more than 50%. Tech companies, the driver of the U.S. economy for years, are signaling tough times ahead amid inflation. Oh, I know what Jim's doing. I can hear the the uh, Houston Astros garbage can <laughs> rattling in the background. That's what it is. Yeah, as Jim rounds That's home plate, nobody yeah. rip his shirt off. Yeah. Nobody rip yeah. off Jim's yeah. shirt as uh, as he rounds home plate. Uh, Mike, another question for you, even though you've you know, said you don't want to compete anymore. <laughs> According to a recent study, which of the following can actually increase the property values in a neighborhood? Okay, well, which of the following... I know. It's, it's yeah, I know. in the question. I know. I know. I know. I this know. game's rigged. I, this some, game is rigged. I, There's something funny going on. Mike, you'll be in the post show meeting. You can express this to Paul Daniel. I will admit that Did I'm. Did Mrs. Crisco write these questions? I, like, I have what? taken so much cold medication in the last couple of days. I did not have time to QR, to QC these. So, uh, oh, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. Mike, your options are wild animal <laughs> populations, local subsidized yep. affordable housing, or lawn maintenance. Oh, yeah. Two of the three there in my neighborhood. Uh, I'm going to go with the wild animals because it works here. That is incorrect. Karen mm. McGee, local local subsidized affordable housing or lawn maintenance? Lawn maintenance. That is also incorrect. Jim Crisco. I'm going to end up with zero points. Picking that up, never I'll happened. Go. 
I'll go with the subsidized housing. There, Jim Crisco picking oh, wow. up more yeah. points here. The study I'll go with the only option left. <laughs> Thanks. The <laughs> default, default. The study found that relative to comparable homes in other neighborhoods of Chicago, average home prices jumped by 10% within a quarter mile of the first affordable housing development that was built in a neighborhood. Karen, last question goes to you. So you, have a, you do have a chance to get off the board here. And I do think you have a crack at this. The comic actor Leslie Jordan died last week at 67. He found viral fame during the pandemic through funny videos on Instagram. Before that, he was known for his role on which sitcom? Um, several, but I think what they're probably going is the one he won the Emmy for, which is Will and Grace. That is correct. Karen McGee, two points to make sure Woo-hoo! she gets off the schneid. Oh, finally. Jordan played the tark-tongued socialite Beverly Leslie, appearing both in the original series in 2001 and the reboot. He won an Emmy for the role in 2006. We have a little bit of time here. Let's do the tie-breaking question just for the heck of it. Britain named a new prime minister last week, the country's third leader in seven weeks. Who is it? You didn't say done. Done. Um, Rishi... So last name starts with S. Uh, Rishi Sunak. Oh, Mike beat you to it. Jim didn't even. Jim didn't even need to bother because Jim was sitting pretty with a big old win. (laughs) With that, your winner is. Jim Crisco with a whopping eight points. If Jim Crisco were were Rishi Sunak right now. Karen McGee would be Liz Truss, and I would be Boris oh, Johnson. Okay, ouch. Sorry, it's so just the reality. So basically, athleticism better than me. Just the reality. Well, I probably would have got more points today. <laughs> wow. Just the reality of the scoreboard, right Karen. Here. Listen, I'm I'm Boris Johnson. You think I'm happy with that? <laughs> I, uh, I I somehow feel I should announce my retirement from the quiz. <laughs> right That's it for me, top. everybody. Going out on top. Going on a Good high note. Uh, Jim, congratulations, Mike, Karen. Thank you both for playing. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.